Welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. This is John Murphy, and it's my pleasure to have as our guest for this podcast, David Smith, who is counsel with the firm of Pepper Hamilton. David, welcome back to Regenerative Medicine Today. We had you as a guest about a year ago. That's right. Thank you, John. Uh, so perhaps the place to begin is to uh, tell us a little bit, little bit about your interests and uh, some of the focus areas that uh, you deal with as it relates to regenerative medicine. Certainly. Um, I got in the field uh, back in the mid-90s through the Pittsburgh Tissue Engineering Initiative um, and have stayed active in it in one form or another uh, since then. The work I do today is primarily with early stage companies, some of which are engaged in uh, commercializing uh, tissue regeneration products more in the medical device and diagnostic space. But I also do consulting work through a consulting company called Terragenics, which is uh, set up to do uh, kind of business development consulting work on behalf of um, uh, tissue engineering technologies for companies or for universities. Okay, so is we have the occasion of this meeting is the uh, Termes uh, North America meeting, and so we've had uh, uh, several days of uh, very exciting papers about uh, the emerging field of regenerative medicine. Your focus is on the uh, commercialization and the business development as opposed to principally focusing on the science, but uh, uh, these two worlds uh, meet at this point as the regenerative medicine technologies begin to uh, emerge to the marketplace. So. Uh, uh, Perhaps uh, just give us your insight into uh, where you see ge- uh, regenerative medicine from your perspective. Certainly. I, I think that the translation process from research to clinical application is critical. Obviously, not just to uh, um, make good on the, on the promise of the research uh, that uh, it has the capacity to change uh, human health care and provide um, treatments and cures for diseases previously untreatable or uncurable, uh, but I think also... Uh, the translation process and the demonstration that in fact the research can yield uh, uh, clinically relevant products is important to sustain uh, the political support for the research itself and for the funding for that research. So the translation becomes uh, a very essential element of the kind of continuum from initial discovery ultimately to uh, treatment of the patients uh, in the hospital. Uh, What I've seen I think is uh, a much greater attention over the years to what really it takes to understand the technology and the science well enough to be able to uh, make that translation process effective, what it would really take for the FDA to understand uh, the safety issues in particular associated with a a tissue regeneration product or therapy. Uh, And I think that ultimately will uh, significantly help in moving these uh, products out of the laboratory um, and into uh, the hospital setting. That said, of course, the uh, the, the motivation of, of commercialization is that there is a market opportunity for that um, therapy or for that product. And I think that one of the things that uh, we still need to spend a lot more time on that we haven't really spent so much time on is really identifying where the market opportunities exist so that we can correlate those with the cost of developing these technologies. It seems to me that there's uh, perhaps a whole host of different business models for different aspects of regenerative medicine. In some cases, there are devices, which you made reference to in your opening remarks. Uh, and, of course, in that case, the, you, the commercial enterprise would be marketing and supporting the device. Uh, on the other hand, there's uh, certain uh, proposed cellular therapies where 
in certain cases, the, the, the physician may remove a patient's own stem cells in the operating room and uh, re-inject them into uh, an organ like the heart, uh, in which case it seems to me there's just an absolutely different business model for uh, how you bring this to market. I think that's right, I th and I think that getting the business model right um, is a critical component in um, bringing the product uh, ultimately to market because uh, each product has its own um, kind of unique characteristics uh, in terms of uh, the manner of manufacturing, the manner of delivery, uh, the manner of market acceptance. So that it, it really isn't a case of kind of one size fits all, it's a case of finding you know, what is the right strategy for the particular product uh, that is right, not only in terms of addressing all of the um, kind of regulatory concerns, um, reimbursement concerns uh, that are going to attend any uh, new medical product making its way onto the marketplace. Getting the business model right is a, is a critical component uh, in the translation process. Uh, there isn't going to be one right business model, and we may not know yet whether or not we have found um, the optimal way of bringing these products into the marketplace. I mean, there have been companies clearly which have been successful uh, in bringing uh, tissue regeneration products to market. There are other companies which have uh, certainly have made uh, very valiant efforts at it, but ultimately have not been able to be successful for one reason or another. Uh, and being able to articulate exactly how you bring the product to market uh, is critical, not only in terms of anticipating the kinds of work and research and, and information necessary to translate through all of the uh, regulatory review and approval processes, but also to be able to articulate for um, investors how it is you're ultimately going to be successful with your particular strategy. Uh, if investors can't believe in what it is you're proposing to do, it's going to be very difficult to be able to fund the effort to get through the regulatory review process, to get through the reimbursement review process, and ultimately to find market acceptance um, in the physician community. As, as you look at this continuum, as you've described it, there's, uh, of course, there's basic research, there's applied research, there's preclinical studies, and then ultimately clinical trials, and then hopefully a, 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 a commercial, commercially viable product or procedure. Uh, some people, I think, tend to uh, look at these as, uh, as discrete uh, entities. Uh, is is that the right way to look at it, or should you know should uh, at some point in the perhaps the applied research stage, uh, scientists at least uh, begin to engage in discussions with the uh, experts in the commercial sector in terms of how this might be marketed? Because it, from my perspective, it could drive the direction of the applied research. You can't address these issues serially; they really have to be taken in context because. Uh, one thing can have an impact on another thing in the in the overall development process. The context is is uh, really everything. Uh, you can't take these different elements in the translation continuum, if you will, uh, in isolation uh, because they do relate one to the other. Uh, what is done at one stage can have an impact on what can be done at a later stage. Uh, it's not so much, I think, necessarily doing up front all that can be done it's so much as anticipating what may need to be done as you go forward uh, and if you haven't spent the time to think through what that process is going to be it's very hard to anticipate what the next steps will be as you're taking the earlier steps uh, and not being able to do that I think has a tendency to run into situations where you end up uh, either having to redo uh, a substantial amount of work or whether you find that your fundamental assumptions about the product just turn out not to be true.
Yeah, well, I think we've all seen uh, excellent pieces of science that uh, don't translate very well to, uh, to economic endeavors. That's uh, something, I guess, that for all interests should be avoided. Well, I think I, I tried to uh, develop a, a kind of an illustration if, um, a little while ago that, that you know, estimated what really is going to be a market size for a particular um, regenerative medicine therapy or product. And you can imagine you begin with um, a certain um, population uh, out of which there may be a subset that actually is, is um, symptomatic for a particular disease process that you think your product is capable of treating. Uh, but in, in reality, if you look at that symptomatic population, there's a good chance that a significant portion of them are being treated by other means, uh, either being treated conservatively or by products which are presently on the market, which at, at least um, in the view of the practicing physicians are providing an adequate response to the patient's particular condition or uh, perhaps from the reimbursement perspective are providing an adequate response to the patient's condition. Uh, and it may ultimately be that very, very small subset uh, kind of distilled from that symptomatic population uh, of those patients that truly cannot be treated by existing therapies, and they are the ones who are really candidates for the new uh, tissue regeneration therapy. Now, that could be a very small subset at the outset, uh, and the, certainly the first critical factor is whether or not the cost of developing a product for that small subset is sustainable economically. Can you find investors who will pay how much it will cost to be able to get through the development process, let alone the manufacturing process, once the product is approved. But if you can figure out that calculation and you can establish that you have a capacity to actually put a product on the market and sustain the company in the process, what you can then also start to look at is how can you expand the application of the product uh, so it becomes more of a displacing technology and it begins to expand its own patient population because it's able to demonstrate through actual clinical use that it has efficacy which is superior to what is presently on the market and can then begin to become the choice among physicians as opposed to whatever uh, uh, strategies or products may be presently on the market. So basically what you're suggesting is that uh, if a particular product or technology provides an incremental improvement uh, it's certainly a more challenging uh, path to uh, to get to commercial maturity than if it was uh, some radically new approach uh, for uh, a particular affliction or illness. Well, obviously, the ability to come up with a, a radically new approach is a function of the capacity of the science itself. And, and although there are certainly um, in the research papers that have been presented at this conference and, and other tissue engineering and regenerative medicine conferences, um, great reasons to hope that the science will ultimately yield uh, products which are capable of treating significant unmet needs. Uh, what, what we're really seeing in the, so in the commercial side is that the products that are getting through the FDA, that are getting onto the market, are in a certain sense incremental. It's not to say that they don't provide significant benefit for the patients who, um, uh, who use them. Uh, but uh, still, it's very often the case that there is some existing strategy which uh, uh, the physician community is capable of using to treat a patient condition uh, so that uh, the tissue-engineered product may not necessarily be the only choice. It may be a choice. It may be very reasons why it's the preferred choice, but not necessarily the exclusive choice. And, and, and unless it is the exclusive choice, the concern for anyone commercializing the product has to be how quickly will the market accept this new product? And how quickly will the market perceive that it is sufficiently superior 
that even though it may be and most likely will be more expensive than what is presently on the market, it still provides a much better patient outcome, beneficial not only to the patient and certainly for the physician determined to give the best uh, possible treatment to the patient, but also to insurers that are going to be paying for this treatment because they see the economic benefit in using this rather than a cheaper alternative. We've mentioned a number of times indirectly the timing to uh, get things to market. Uh, uh, for our listeners, can you just briefly review that process? Uh, and I'm not sure where you want to pick it up. There's, uh, there can be many years of basic and applied research, but uh, perhaps you want to pick it up from, the, like from a preclinical trial perspective. Well, it's, it is a time-consuming process, and, and um, um, Dr. Atala uh, in a presentation yesterday made a really good point about the importance of longitudinal studies, that it's not something you can know quickly with respect to these kinds of products. Uh, it, it may take you a year to really see what is happening you know, in, a, in an animal study, to be able to really uh, establish not only for yourselves but certainly for the FDA uh, in the long term uh, what may be the implications of using uh, a, a living cell, living tissue product uh, in a patient. Um, these, these products clearly are distinctive uh, from uh, all existing medical products in that not only will they remain in the patient indefinitely, but they will remain in the patient indefinitely in a, in a viable, in a living state and constantly interacting with, uh, with the patients, the host environment where the product has been implanted um, with uh, ultimate outcomes yet to be determined until you have actually gone to the trouble of of conducting the kind of studies that give you the longer view and enable you to make that assessment. So uh, this is something which will take time. Uh, will take time through the appropriate staging of preclinical trials. Will take time through uh, initial human trials. So it's clearly something which you have to know. You've got a market opportunity to be able to get the kind of of uh, investment and working capital that can sustain you through that long process. It's not necessarily long in terms of what it takes to put medical products on the market generally. Clearly the, the process of developing a new drug uh, for market is a very long and time-consuming process. Uh, but nevertheless, it's something which is not going to happen quickly, nor should it, because of what needs to be known about the product before it's ultimately going to be used in humans. So in, in addition to uh, these uh, time frames that you share, I guess just to uh, complete the cycle for our listeners, there's, uh, there could be uh, from uh, 5 to 15 years of uh, basic and applied research that uh, might be on the, on the front end of this particular cycle. And uh, needless to say, that's uh, important to uh, uh, recognize that in terms of the life cycle of a, of a, of a basic science to a clinical application. Well, that's right. I mean, if you look at um, uh, the uh, the products which have gone on the market, uh, mostly the skin substitutes, uh, the um, original patents covering those technologies uh, were issued in the late 1980s, early 1990s, uh, and a lot of them, if they aren't off patent now, are coming off patent fairly soon. And it's just now that those um, products are really showing true market acceptance. Now, part of that is just the natural delay in um, market adoption with an entirely new kind of medical technology. But I do think that it does indicate that there is going to be a timeline that needs to be traversed by anybody who's going to be focused on commercializing these technologies, meaning it's important not only to pay attention to market size and to be sure you have the market 
either, if not initially, at least ultimately, but you, and you have a pathway where you can begin with some uh, subset of the applicable market and you can expand the application of that product through the market opportunity over time, that you can um, uh, sustain yourself financially through that timeline so that you can accomplish the objectives you set out for yourself uh, in getting the product to market uh, and then um, managing the cost of manufacturing the product uh, in, in a way that makes the product reimbursable uh, at a profit to the company. In, in thinking about the timeline uh, for commercialization, it, it really becomes important to, to have uh, thought in advance about all of the stages of the development process and particularly all of the expectations um, of those who will influence the development process as it unfolds. I've mentioned before, obviously, the expectations of investors, and um, it's important at the outset to be able to craft a story about the development process that makes sense to investors, that they can believe in, and that they can get behind in the form of actual investment in the company. Uh, it's as important uh, to in, in fulfilling on that story uh, to understand the FDA expectations, to understand the reimbursement expectations, and to build into the development process as much as you can uh, the kind of research and information gathering that will enable you to satisfy the uh, regulatory concerns around safety and efficacy, uh, but also can satisfy the reimbursement, reimbursement concerns around effectiveness. So that you know, how you uh, how you um, um, plan your preclinical studies will clearly have an influence on your capacity to bring the product to humans uh, through clinical trials um, approved by the FDA, how ultimately the FDA will accept that you've, you've established safety and efficacy to their satisfaction, and how in the course of using the product in the clinical trials, not only have you established um, effectiveness, but you've established effectiveness in an economic sense, particularly where uh, the product that you've develop, you're developing may be one that ultimately will be displacing products which are presently on the market. You've, uh, and I have talked briefly in, in this discussion about cost, and I know the, the cost uh, varies significantly depending on the technology and the, the extent of the valuation and so forth, but as a, an order of magnitude range, can you just uh, share with our audience the, the types of funds we're talking about to bring one of these technologies to market? Well, I, I don't know how much these numbers will apply kind of across the board. I mean, you can look at the amount of money that um, organogenesis and advanced tissue sciences had raised um, through the development of their uh, skin substitute technologies up to the point in which they were unfortunately uh, compelled to file for bankruptcy in 19, or excuse me, in 2002. And each of them had raised approximately $250 million. Now, not all of that, obviously, was spent on research and development. There were a lot of other things that the company had to do in, uh, uh, in, the, in the course of, of sustaining itself to that point and getting those products on the market. Now, they ultimately did get their products on the market, um, and that may be some indication of the kind of cost that may be necessary uh, in order to be able to bring a product in this space to market. Uh, it's certainly going to be more expensive than the typical medical device, uh, which could be, you know, 50 to 100 million dollars, depending upon the complexity of the device and the nature of the regulatory review process. It's unlikely to be as expensive as uh, a new drug in the 800 million to a billion dollar range. So it's kind of it's a pretty wide range to say it's somewhere in between. But I I think it's pretty safe to say that it's not going to be cheap, 
uh, and it, it's something that is going to require a company to go through multiple financings in the course of developing the technology, and so it has to be able to foresee that it can, at each of those subsequent financings, establish that it is truly moved towards that ultimate goal of having a successful commercial product. Uh, so you know, part of that planning process, not only in thinking about the regulatory challenges, the reimbursement challenges, the scientific challenges, it's also thinking about the financing challenges and, and knowing that you can not only first deliver a story to investors that they will believe in initially, but that you can sustain that belief through what you accomplish over time in a way that will encourage either these investors or new investors to join and provide the financing that the company will need to go forward. So we could say significant time, significant money, but uh, absolutely incredible opportunities for improved uh, quality of life and health care. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point. It's the last point particularly. Um, when you start talking about the commercialization challenge, uh, it can sound very pessimistic uh, because it does take so long, because it can be so expensive. But in some respects, you almost kind of want it to take that long in a manner of speaking, and, and you want it to be that difficult because you want to be sure, ultimately, that what you're providing to patients uh, is going to work, uh, is going to be um, a real benefit to them. Uh, and so that is a, that's not a simple process, certainly, not when you're talking about a living tissue product, uh, and nor should it be a simple process because there are a lot of questions that need to be answered and a lot of questions probably that presently are not answerable simply because the technology hasn't evolved far enough to make them answerable. Uh, but I think um, keeping in mind what that uh, opportunity is, not only in its economic terms, but also in its human terms, in its capacity to really change outcomes uh, and to improve the quality of life, uh, is what makes the, the total effort worthwhile. Uh, to be true to that opportunity requires a lot of planning, a lot of forethought, and as little trial and error as you can manage. Uh, so uh, the, the strategic thinking... Um, the upfront thinking, uh, the careful consideration of the challenges of the different influences on the commercialization process uh, is really part and parcel of, of being successful in the space. Companies are clearly demonstrating that can be done, and I hope that they will be the kind of models that we'll be able to emulate going forward. Uh, others will come up with new models, uh, and, and they will be the, um, the people that we will uh, be able to uh, follow going forward. But it seems to me, based on what I've seen in, the, in this field, that there is certainly reason for optimism, so long as uh, the optimism is tempered with intelligent attention to the challenges that um, uh, need to be met in order to be successful. Well, David, this has been a uh, fascinating update in terms of the uh, challenges and the opportunities to uh, move uh, science into a commercial product, particularly biomedical science with uh, all of the challenges or requirements that, as you pointed out, are necessary to ensure that they're appropriate for use in human applications. Appreciate you uh, sharing your insights and your expertise with us, and uh, we will put on the Regenerative Medicine Today uh, website uh, some links to you and to your activities uh, so interested listeners can uh, pursue uh, contacting you if you if they have, a, have interest and in, in needs for your expertise. Uh, so, again, uh, best wishes and continued success, and uh, thank you for being with us today at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. Mm -hmm.